The word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Brothers and sisters, I am thirsty. Like you, I'm surrounded on all sides by political instability, economic uncertainty, ecological crisis, social irresponsibility, moral chaos, the threat of violence and war. I thirst for a better world. How about you? Every place I go, there is greed, selfish ambition, bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness, and division. And that's just the church. I'm thirsty for a better church. How about you? And whenever I examine my own heart, I face the demons of fear and despair. Long shadows of anxiety and the threat of depression. The temptations to compromise and quit. The bondage of self-justification, performance, reward. I'm thirsty for a better me. How about you? I mean for a better you, not just a better me. <laughs> well, here is the good news, brothers and sisters. It will not always be this way. Before the invitation that Isaiah gives to come and drink, he makes a mighty promise. A day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, don't mistake this. This is, this is not about the global expansion of Asbury Seminary and the knowledge of the Lord that comes to us in our, just our intellectual ponderings, right? I'm talking about the difference that makes us real followers of the Lord, the knowledge that is about an intimacy with Him, His presence, His power, and knowing Him and being known by Him all the way down, being loved by Him and loving Him having his reign and joyfully submitting. One day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, we will thirst no more. 
But the really good news is that in the meantime, there is life-giving water here and now for all who will come to the Lord and drink. Are you thirsty? This promise was first given to a people in exile, a people who are desolate and dismayed, a people of whom Jeremiah said, passed on to us the insights, the complaint of the Lord that was twofold, one that they had forsaken Him, who? The spring of living water, and two, that they had dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so Isaiah's invitation was to renew their thirst for the Lord Himself to be immersed again in His presence, to be filled with hope that they are His, that He actually does reign over all, and that He actually will have the last word over not just their lives, but all of history. A knowledge that changes everything, no matter how things may seem. Brothers and sisters, are you thirsty for the knowledge of the Lord, for His real presence, His perfect love, His holy reign, for the prophetic hope that one day the Lord Himself will captivate every eye, rule every heart, bow every knee, transform every life, and fill the whole earth with His glory? To know the Lord is to thirst for something big, really big. Can you glimpse it? Can you taste it? Can you feel it coming? I used to uh, be a student at London University, and I used to have to travel from... Uh, out in Brixton through to the center of London, and I used to do that every day on the tube. I used to mind the gap every day. Long before the tube train arrived, you knew it was coming. First of all, there was a a sort of high-pitched squeaking in the rails that signaled it. Then there was a slow build-up, and then a, a mighty sort of rushing of wind as that, that train tunneled, you know, through those, uh, those small spaces and pushed that air across your face. Jesus is coming. Can you feel it? He's arriving. Can you feel it? Oh, Lord, let it begin with me. May I have eyes only for you, a heart that desires only you, a life that glorifies only you. May you be the air that I breathe, the bread of my life, the water I thirst for. Be my everything in every moment of every day. Send me where you will. Rank me 
with whom you will. Do with me what you will, so long as you are known and glorified. Brothers and sisters, at the end of a great outpouring of the Spirit, I want to suggest to you that the question is not whether we have been satisfied. The Lord does not want spiritual consumers. The question is whether we have been left thirsting for more. Not even for more outpourings, but for more overflowing of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. The Lord wants us to truly know Him and to thirst for His infilling, His life-transforming, His overflowing and world-changing power wherever we go all the time. Are you with me? I have three questions for you this morning. The first is this. Are you thirsty for the mission of the Spirit? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, Isaiah thirsted for a coming king anointed by the Spirit of the Lord, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And this anointed king would come and change everything. Through him the whole world would come to know the Lord himself and the reign of his love. This promise is the heartbeat that runs through the whole of Isaiah's message. On that day, he says, there will be no more injustice, poverty, or need, Isaiah 11. No more pain, crying, or tears to be heard, Isaiah 25. No more hatred, violence, or war. No more darkness, fear, or death, Isaiah 60. Then, says the prophet, you will look and be radiant, and your heart will throb and swell with joy. I need to hear some throbbing, <laughs> some joy. Does your heart swell? Swell with this news. Here is the good news. Isaiah thirsted for what we have tasted. And his name is Jesus. Our anointed king has come. And he is here. I mean, really right here. Understand? And he will come again to establish his kingdom and make everything new. What the Lord promised to Isaiah, he unveiled to John on the island of Patmos. You see two men in exile, but the same great promise. On that day, the old order will pass away. The reign of Satan will be done. All the brokenness that seems inevitable now will be finished. Because Jesus has the last word over all of history. There will be a new heaven and a new earth will arrive, and yes, our throbbing hearts 
will sing. And this Yorkshireman will dance. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Before the Lamb, who has made everything new through the power of resurrection. For Isaiah, the waters will cover the sea. For John, there is no more sea. The Leviathan, the powers of evil, of persecution, of violence, of war, are gone, destroyed. All that is left is the living water of the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, bearing fruit, bestowing health, bringing life wherever it goes, and it is flowing here, in this place, right now. Can you hear it? It's the same river that flowed out of Eden and divided to cover the earth. It's the same river that Zechariah saw flowing from Jerusalem east and west, sea to sea, as the Lord became king of all the earth. It's the same river that Ezekiel was invited to step in, to walk in, to swim in, that started as a trickle, then rose to his ankles, his waist, his neck, and became a boundless ocean that covered the earth. This is the mission of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. From Genesis to Revelation, an unstoppable river of living water, from creation to new creation, the prophets invite us to see, to have unveiled what is under our very noses right here, right now. And we are all invited to step in and swim, to get caught up, swept up, carried along as the power of new creation flows, not just here, but in every corner of everyday life, everything. Jesus was immersed in this river of the Spirit, and it sprang up wherever he went. I've seen for myself what happens when we dare to get in deep with him. Have you? I've seen how the sick are healed, how the hungry are fed, how broken hearts are bound up, how prisoners are set free, how the powers of evil are cast out, and how the dead are brought back to life. I've seen how the homeless are sheltered, addicts are delivered, marriages are healed, neighbors are reconciled, mourners are comforted. Not just in seasons of outpouring, but in the extraordinary overflowing of the Spirit in the midst of everyday life, are you thirsty to be springing up with that kingdom power? Yes. Second question, are you thirsty for the fellowship of the Spirit? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We know how it's all going to end. Hallelujah. We know how it's all going to end. One thing I like to sort of toy with in my mind and, and ask people if I get the chance, though, is this. How likely do you think it is?
Is it just possible? Because God is God and He can accomplish anything in His sovereign power? Is it probable? Because when we look at the state of things, He better get a move on and do it quickly. I want to tell you this morning that it is neither just possible nor is it just probable. It is inevitable. Inevitable. I know this. We have a sure and a certain hope. I know this just because I'm a theologian. Though some may disagree. (laughs) I know it because the end has already begun in Jesus. In His life as He pushed back all the frontiers of sin and death, all the principalities and powers of darkness in His death as He conquered them all when those powers thought they had done their worst in killing the Son of God and burying Him in a tomb. And the Father says, no, you will not have the Son of my love, and pours out that river of life into the tomb, His Spirit, and raises Him from the dead. And every principality and power is conquered. It's inevitable. The new creation has already happened. He is the first fruits. In him is a river of life that the powers of death could not quench. In him is a river of life that burst out of the tomb and into a thirsty world. In him is a river of life that will not stop and cannot be stopped until all creation is made new. And now this risen and ascended, glorified Jesus pours out his Spirit on you and on me, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead. Now, I don't want you to picture this wrong. This pouring out is not like some distant Jesus up there with a kind of fire hose in heaven. This is a living Jesus who ascended to be everywhere, who is with us, really present, and from whose wounded side flows blood and water, forgiveness and life, and who says to you and says to me, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He made this promise at the Feast of Tabernacles, a feast that the people, the Israelites, were to to, uh, to do every year to remember the lessons of the wilderness. To remember how they only lived because of the gift of sheer grace of the manna from heaven, the food that fed them, and that their thirst was only going to be satisfied by the water that God would give. And remember how Moses struck the rock and the water flowed out. This could not be stored up, kept, manipulated, controlled. 
They were dependent upon his provision every moment of every day. Their spiritual life, their vigor, their vitality, their future depended absolutely on him. They were utterly dependent on him. This is the lesson of the wilderness. Don't you dare forget it. When you get to the land of promise, don't you dare dig cisterns for yourself and begin to imagine that it is your ingenuity that has got you all of this. Do not forget the Lord. Jesus is like the rock that Moses struck in the desert. He was struck down and raised up so the water of life might be imparted to us. But this is not an invitation to some private drinking party with Jesus, right? But to join a community of disciples that is filled, transformed, and overflowing with the water of life. It was the eighth day, the last great day of the feast when he announced this, right? This day of abundance, this day of, that was pregnant with new life, with rendered regeneration with resurrection and anticipation of Pentecost, of new creation. The day when this fellowship of the Spirit was born to be a sign, a foretaste, and a herald of the kingdom of God in this world. A fellowship that is shaped by the disciplines of the Spirit flowing through praise and prayer, breaking bread and giving thanks, through having everything in common and celebrating the presence of the risen Jesus in their midst. A fellowship that bears the fruit of the Spirit flowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Here are the ordinary signs and wonders, friends. that we have the power to forgive our neighbors, to love our enemies, to welcome the stranger. Make no mistake, it takes the power of a God who raises the dead to free you from your self-possession that you will lay down your life for others and your things and everything else. A fellowship that is built up by the gifts of the Spirit, flowing through generous hospitality, unconditional mercy, and costly service, flowing through words of prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, and encouragement, flowing through miraculous power, prayers for healing, and authority over the powers of sin and death. I am blessed beyond measure. to be immersed in fellowship like that. And some of you are in this room with me. Spiritual families meeting in ordinary homes who seek to be pools of living water where the broken and the thirsty, like me, can be healed and filled people who send me out 
with prayers for the presence of Jesus and the river of His Spirit to flow into every corner of my everyday life so that nothing remains untouched by His grace and love and reign. Brothers and sisters, are you thirsty? Lastly, are you thirsty for the holiness, the holiness of the Spirit? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's inevitable. But how will it get done? This is a question that bothered John Wesley. You can read it in his sermon on the general spread of the gospel. He is a man who is very well familiar with revival and awakening and outpouring and loved it. How's it going to get done? Not in an instant of divine power. We're not, and he was not, a Calvinist after all. (laughs) Nor in a long season of revival moments, but rather the effect of those moments. I had a PhD student who wrote his dissertation on a theology of, uh, of revival, and he called revival um, the Spirit's pulse in human history. The point of a pulse is it gets something going. It's not an end in itself. The ripple effects when revival moments turn into holiness movements. When moments of outpouring become movements of overflowing, when the river of life spreads, wherever the kingdom is set up, says Wesley, from heart to heart, person to person, house to house, nation to nation, until all the world is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. What is it that gets in the way of that? The grand stumbling block that Wesley speaks of to the general spread of the gospel? Well, it's not going to be our message. Well, it could be, but y'all are uh, Asbury, so we're fine with that. Nor will it be a failure of methods, because we have got a school of mission and ministry. Please take some of my courses. (laughs) The grand stumbling block to the general spread of the gospel, says Wesley, is the lives of Christians. Now, his diagnosis was not just that they were hypocrites full of moral failure. The real problem wasn't moral failure, it was power failure. Holiness, you see, is a life overflowing with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The holy life is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. A life that only makes sense if what we say about the gospel is actually true. A life overflowing with holy love when what we really want to do is kill people 
of patience when what we really want to do is just be angry, of joy when we get all that bad news that flows into our inbox day after day. It's a power that conquers sin and overflows in holy love, a power that clothes our witness with a divine energy that disarms the skeptic, a power that leads others back to its source in Jesus himself. Wesley truly believed that when non-believers encounter true holiness, it's like coming face to face with an extraordinary power that can change everything. Why are you so hopeful? in a world that is so hopeless? Why are you so generous in a culture that is so selfish? Why do you lay down your life when you know the only thing that makes sense is you keep it to yourself? What they see in us, they will thirst for themselves. The Lord promised Isaiah that those who seek him will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And Jesus promised that those who believe in him would have rivers of living water flow from within them. I am sure, brothers and sisters, that we are all thirsty for the fullness of the Spirit, for his refreshing and renewal, his blessing, his fruit, his gifts. But are we thirsty for the overflowing holiness of the Spirit? Are we ready to abandon our cracked cisterns, all the failed attempts to store up water for ourselves and turn ourselves to the spring of living water himself? Are you thirsty to be convicted of sin? For the Spirit will not tolerate our selfish hearts and foolish lives, he will insist that we die to ourselves and surrender our lives in complete obedience to Jesus. Are you thirsty to be set in opposition to this world? For the Spirit will not allow us to flirt with temptation or wink at perversity or be indifferent to the things that Jesus hates. He will insist that we set our minds on what He desires and take His Word as the rule of our lives. Are you thirsty to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus? For the Spirit will not allow us simply to do what comes naturally anymore or to follow what the world calls common sense. He will insist that we follow Jesus, go the way of the cross, embrace a life of costly service, and perhaps even be hated for it. Are you thirsty to be gathered in real Christian fellowship? For the Spirit will not let us settle for consumer religion anymore. He will insist that we learn how to share life deeply together and lay down our lives for one another. Are you thirsty to be filled with a longing for more? For the Spirit will want us to be consumed by just one thing. He will insist that we give up our whole lives to Jesus and lay down our whole lives for the salvation of others. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. For they will be filled. Filled with the pure joy of discovering that yielding our lives to the Lordship of another, when that one is Jesus, brings us into a way that every part of our being becomes what we were made for. A way of mission, of fellowship, of holiness. It's the way of abundant life. Would you give everything away just to have Jesus? Because if you have him, you have everything. I sometimes have people read some of the more difficult things that Wesley says, like humility has been a theme, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Here's what humility is. It is to know that you are nothing. Doesn't sit well in a therapeutic culture like ours, right? To know that you are nothing, that you have nothing, and that you can do nothing apart from Him, with Him, you have everything, and you can do all things, yet not I, but Jesus Christ in me the hope of glory, the one who is coming and who is and has the last word over everything. Brothers and sisters, he calls us and his voice is like the sound of rushing waters. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And all those who have tasted for themselves say, come. And take the free gift of the water of life. He is calling now. But that same voice will be calling this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Monday, when things are going well, when things are going terrible, when the whole world looks like it's going to somewhere in a handbasket, and you're tempted, he's calling still, because right under our very noses, right here, right now, let the prophet unveil the truth, the river of living water is here. He is here. I think it's really apt 
that the font, the fount, the fountain, the spring, the symbol of living water is right in the middle of this place. A symbol, of course, of baptism. And what does baptism mean? It means immersion. Immersion in water. Immersion in water and the Spirit. Immersion in the mission of the Spirit, in the river of life. Remember your baptism. I don't care whether you were baptized as an infant or a believer or whatever. Get immersed now in the river of life. Because Jesus is here and he's, and he's flowing. If there's an obstacle, it's not him. It's not him. So I invite you to drink. Actually, to be thirsty. Because if you're thirsty, you'll drink. And here's the thing. If outpourings don't do it for you, then overflowing should. Right? That's for us all, no matter where we're at. (laughs) And so, listen to the voice of Jesus. I invite you to respond to him this morning. There is water there. I invite you. You do whatever the, whatever the Lord is asking you to do to, to respond to that call this morning. It could be to walk up to that font and to dip your, your hands in the water and I don't know, whatever you want to do with it. Splash yourself. Splash somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. Um come to the, the rail, I'd be very happy to pray. Uh, there are probably others too. Uh, just that real simple prayer. In fact, the prayer is this, make us more thirsty. Because we don't have to ask him for the water. We just have to be thirsty enough to receive it. And if you don't feel thirsty, come and pray some prayers that he will make you thirsty. Do you thirst to be thirsty? Come to the waters and drink.